You are currently listening to the How That Works podcast. My name is Xavier and this is the time of day where I get to discuss all the wonders and curiosities that the world around us has to offer. Before we get to learning and expanding our minds, I need to remind you that this is not the traditional podcast. We are here to discuss everything tech, science, nature, history and travel. As we are here discussing, I encourage you to leave your comments, thoughts and further curiosities on all my social places. Now, I know I have spoken about him for the past few episodes, and the day has finally come to talk about the new topic. Give a very, very warm welcome to the new kid on the block. Hello, travel. <laughs> All right, so we're firing up the engines. The seatbelt sign is on. We're ready for takeoff. It's that time to grab your favorite cup of tea, relax on the couch, or enjoy your run, because we're about to get curious. debut episode of travel I got curious and I want to discuss how a plane actually works. Today I'm going to be going over everything from the first aircraft designed by the Wright brothers, how the propellers in a Cessna work and to top it all off I'm going to be taking a look at the great big engines that managed to keep a jumbo jet up in the air. All right all right then let's get to learning. To understand the mechanics of flying and why planes do the wonderful things that they do we first need to turn back the clock. We're going all the way back to good old 1903. Orville and Wilbur Wright owned a bicycle sales and repair shop together, which later became the Wright Cycle Company. However, these two didn't have dreams of just owning a store and selling bicycles forever. These two visionaries had always dreamed to fly and make their mark on history. Between the time of 1896 and 1899 was when their passion and drive for flight began to really take off. See what I did there? In May of 1899, Wilbur wrote a letter to the Smithsonian Institution requesting information and publications about aeronautics. Can you imagine that for a second? You're busy researching a certain topic and in order to get the information you need, you had to write a letter to a university or library to ask them for that information. That's crazy to think that you had to wait so long for information to get to you. How would it work if you had to return it again? That's a question for another day, perhaps. William and Orville drew on the knowledge of Sir George Cayley, Lilienthal, Chanute, and even Da Vinci until they arrived at their own invention. Fast forward to a few years later, however, in 1903, on the 17th of December, the Wright brothers achieved man's first powered flight. Orville managed to fly a mere 37 meters in about 12 seconds. Following that, Wilbur brought to the table a flight of 53 meters, Time was unknown, however, and to top it all off, Orville managed the farthest distance of about 61 meters. Can you just imagine what the brothers could have achieved if they had the technology of today at their disposal? They would come up with some pretty crazy stuff, I'm sure. That's quite enough about all things history, because now I want to discuss everything there is to know about propellers and jet engines. Getting straight to the point, I want to take a look at the propellers first and take it apart to find out exactly how they do what they do. Before getting into blades and thrust and all the other technicalities, the physics behind this needs to be understood first. 
The fundamentals as to why propellers work the way they do is because of Sir Isaac Newton. His third law of motion being that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction is the basis upon which propellers work. So now keeping this theory in mind, the propeller at the front of the aircraft is used to transform the rotational power of the engine into forward thrust. So now that we have this idea analyzed, let's look at actually moving forward. The propeller works by displacing the air or pulling it behind itself, and this movement of air then results in the aircraft being pushed forward from the resulting pressure difference. The more air that is pulled behind the propeller, the more thrust or forward propulsion we have that gets generated. Not getting too fancy or technical with all this engine business, I want to take a few minutes of your ear time. Haha, <laughs> get it? Ear time? Kind of sounds like air time. Ah, oh, these jokes are really bad. Bear with me. Anyhow, I want to take apart the turboprop engine and have a look at how that works and why it keeps the plane flying the way that it does. As basic as possible, I'm going to start with the turboprop engine. What the heck is a turboprop engine, you might be asking right now? That's good, you're asking the right questions. In a few short steps, here's how it all works. We start off with reverse airflow. When something says reverse, you already know it's going to be weird. In any case, unlike a turbofan or turbojet aircraft, air moves through turboprops by reverse flow. Large air intakes underneath or beside the propeller scoop air into the intakes, where it moves backwards towards the engine firewall. Now when it reaches the limit of the intake, the air makes a 180 degree turn back towards the front of the aircraft. In addition to that, air reverses direction again when it reaches the combustor, allowing for a shorter and more compact engine. Now before we can get to combustion, we first have to compress all this new and juicy air. This is where the compression comes in. The first compressor stages, which are axial flow, uses a series of airfoil shaped spinning blades to speed up and compress the air. It's called axial flow because the air passes through the engine in a direction parallel to the shaft of the engine. As the air moves through the compressor, each set of blades is slightly smaller, adding more and more energy and compression to the air. Think of how in The Phantom Menace when Obi-Wan had to wait at the red gates to get to Darth Maul. Kind of the same idea here with air compression. After passing the final axial flow compressor stage, the air moves to a centrifugal flow compressor stage. Air is then thrown outwards away from the engine core and towards the combustion chambers. The air has made another 90 degree turn. Air is starting to get all over the place now. To give us a snap, crackle and pop, we move on to the combustion stage of the engine. The combustor is where the fire happens, obviously. As air ex exits the compressor and enters the combustor, it is mixed with fuel and then ignited. It sounds simple, but it actually needs a very complex process. That's because the combustor needs to maintain a stable, constant combustion of the fuel-slash-air mixture, while the air is moving through the combustor at an extremely fast rate. I'm going to refer to a few terms here that I can't explain in an auditory manner, so if you want a better idea of what this looks like, you can head over to boldmethod.com forward slash this is how a turboprop engine works. This is what I can tell you about the combustion, however. The diffuser is a device that slows down the air from the compressor, making it easier to ignite. The dome and swirler inside adds turbulence to the air so it can mix more easily with the fuel. Add the fuel injector nozzles, as you can most likely guess, spray fuel into the air, creating that fuel-air mixture that can be ignited. From there, the liner is where the actual combustion happens. 
the liner actually has several inlets allowing air to enter at multiple points in the combustion zone. And finally, the igniters are the last part of the combustion stage. They're very similar to the spark plugs you would find in your car or piston engine airplane. Once the igniters light the fire, it is self-sustaining and the igniters are turned off, although sometimes they're used as a backup in bad weather or even icing conditions. Dun, dun, dun. So that's the basics of how we're going to get the propellers to start rotating. Once they're all well and spinning, it's going to push us forward and with enough power, we'll eventually get off the ground. But how do we stay that way? I'm going to tell you in just a minute. So we have four main forces that act on the plane while it's in the air. Thrust, drag, lift, and gravity. The thrust is generated by the jet engines, as we have so thoroughly discussed, and this helps the plane to propel forwards, whereas the lift force acts on the wings of the plane and allow it to move upwards as well as maintain its altitude. For a plane to stay in the air, the lift force needs to overcome the force of gravity. Additionally, the thrust must overcome the drag force. Drag is just the force that resists the plane's motion through the air. That's probably where the term don't be such a drag came from. Thrust is, is produced by the jet engines. They suck the air in, squeeze it, burn fuel in it, and lead it to the expansion and exhaust it on the other side. That creates a reaction that causes the plane to move forward in the opposite direction to where the air is flowing. Now to help with lift, the wings of a plane have an upward curved surface and a flatter lower surface. This shape is called an aerofoil. Due to this curved shape, when air hits this section, it deflects the air upwards and the natural inclination of the air is then to move in a straight line. But because we have that curvature of the wing, it pulls the air around and also back down the wing. For this reason, air is basically stretched out in a bigger volume. This basically means that you have the same number of air molecules forced to occupy a bigger space. This re results in a pressure drop. So. For the exact opposite reason, the pressure of the air under the wing increases. With this pressure drop from above the wings, a faster airflow is achieved, because there are fewer particles in the way for the air to flow. As they get a faster airflow at the top, and as the air accelerates down the wing, it generates a lift force in the opposite direction that enables the plane to move upwards, and also to maintain altitude, because that's very important. The more air that the aerofoil deflects, the greater the lift force we have. During a takeoff, you can notice that the wings have flaps that extend downwards at different angles. This is to give you that extra lift during takeoff. When you're landing, these will fully extend to manage the lift and increase drag to slow the plane down effectively. So that's the basic gravity lesson I can give you for today. I hope that helped you learn something new. We're not done yet, so don't freak out. I still want to have a quick look at the engines that power the big airbuses and passenger airplanes we fly every day. It's pretty much the same basic principle as the turboprop engine with just a few slight modifications. Let me break that down for you. Before I do though, you can head over to explainthatstuff.com forward slash jet engine to see some more diagrams and further in-depth explanations. So now we get to it. So for all your jet engines going slower than the speed of sound, the engine is actually moving through the air at about 1000 kilometers an hour or 600 miles per hour. You can think of the engine as being stationary and the cold air moving toward it at this speed. A fan at the front sucks the cold air into the engine and forces it through the inlet. This inlet then slows the air down by nearly 60% and its speed is now an average of 400 kilometers an hour 
240 miles per hour. A secondary fan or compressor squeezes the air which increases the pressure by about 8 times and this then will ultimately increase its temperature. After this, kerosene is squirted into the engine from a fuel tank in the plane's wing. We then move to the combustion chamber, located just behind the compressor, where the kerosene mixes with the compressed air and burns fiercely, giving off hot exhaust gases and producing a huge increase in temperature. This burning mixture can sometimes reach a temperature of up to 900 degrees Celsius. That's pretty freaking hot. And not the hot you're thinking of. The exhaust gases then rush past a set of turbine blades, spinning them like a windmill, and since the turbine gains energy, the gases must lose the same amount of energy. They do so by cooling down slightly and losing some pressure. The turbine blades are then connected to a long axle that runs the length of the engine. The compressor and the fan are also connected to the same axle, by the way. So as the turbine blades spin, they also turn the compressor and the fan. Those hot exhaust gases we just spoke about exit the engine through a tap tapering exhaust nozzle. Just as water squeezed through a narrow pipe accelerates dramatically into a fast jet, think of what happens in a water pistol, the design of the exhaust nozzle helps to accelerate the gases to a speed of over 2,100 kilometers per hour. So the hot air leaving the jet engine at the back is traveling over twice the speed of the cold air entering at the front. And that's what powers the plane. Isn't that just fantastic? Fun fact for you, military jets often have an afterburner that can squirt fuel into the exhaust jet to produce even more extra thrust. The backward moving exhaust gases power the jet forward. Because the plane is much bigger and heavier than the exhaust gases it produces, the exhaust gases have to zoom backward much much faster than the plane's own speed. So sorry if that last part felt a bit rushed, but I just wanted to cover the basics so that the next time you look up in the sky and you see one of these beauties flying overhead, you'll know exactly how it works. And that, good friends, is the end of this high-flying discussion. I do hope you learned something today and that you can bring this up in your discussions wherever they might take you. I do hope that I have left your curiosity satisfied today. Housekeeping, let's do this thing. Let's level and have our moment. Thank you so, so, so much for listening to this episode and allowing me to get high on your own curiosity. If you did enjoy this episode, then please do hit the follow, like, or subscribe button wherever it is that you're listening to this show. It helps me grow and reach more curious people like yourself. You can also help me grow by following me on my social places. Find me over on Instagram at how underscore that underscore works. Don't forget to save my latest post. I don't have anything new to share with you this week, except for the fact that I did post that from now on I will be hosting this podcast every two weeks instead of every week. This helps me keep my life in check and allows me for me to produce the absolute best content for all you amazing listeners. If you have any ideas on how I can improve or you have a curiosity that I can explore, please do drop a comment on the social places and I can maybe explore your curiosity. You have been a great listener, so here's to you and getting high in all the right ways. This is all the time we have together, so until next week's episode, stay always curious. Curious.